You are listening to Grab Them by the Pod, a member of the Ace Podcast Network. Thank you so much once again for joining us here at Grab Them by the Pod. I'm Kevin with Jesse, and it never ceases to amaze, my friend, all the crazy and foolish and (laughs) God knows what's coming out of Washington, D.C. on a week-to-week basis. So, Jess, what do you got for us tonight? Well, there's been a lot of wackiness in the last week, and we're just going to run down it very quickly, uh, some of the timelines of, of what happened and the fallout of what happened. So on October 4th, uh, four servicemen were killed during a raid in Niger uh, after being ambushed by about 50 people or so associated with ISIS. Their names were Brian Black, Jeremiah Johnson, Dustin Wright, and the David Johnson. And, and if I may interject here, it is very important because you – unlike a certain person at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, remember the names of those four service members killed. Yeah, it's it's kind of sad when I, just a lowly podcaster, know the names of these uh, poor individuals where the president of the United States couldn't be bothered to remember them. Um, then again, he didn't bother even commenting on it until October 16th. Uh, in the interim, he was too consumed with people kneeling at football games, playing many, many, many games of golf, even though he complained about uh, President Obama doing just the same. Uh, so when he was finally asked about it at a press conference, Trump said that he felt very, very badly about it. He always feels very badly. It's one of the toughest calls uh, that he has to make uh, when this happens and soldiers are killed. You know, And if he left it like that, you know, I, I, I'm with him. I understand it's probably one of the toughest calls a president has to make. But, you know, Trump, he can't leave it just there. And then he had to go on and talk about how past presidents, including President Barack Obama, hadn't written or called the families of slave, uh, slain servicemen. And that's just a flat-out lie. It's a lie that's easily proven. Um, Obama, Bush, and others contacted these families. It, it's not like uh, there's not records of this stuff happening. To date, since Donald Trump took office back in January, 47 service members have been killed, and he claims to have called each family. However, according to a New York Times report, several families, such as that of Sergeant Jonathan Hunter, who was killed in Afghanistan this August, never received a call, despite Army officials explaining to them that they would. So the next day he brought up his chief of staff, General Kelly. We all know who General Kelly is. Uh, he told the news that you know they should ask uh, General Kelly about uh, President Obama and whether he called him after his son was killed. Uh, he decided to use General Kelly's son as a political prop for political gain without, I don't know, running it by his chief of staff before doing that. Uh, you know, it's true. President Obama did not call General Kelly, uh, but he and his wife did sit at a table with Michelle Obama at an event honoring Gold Star families. So it's not like they just kicked him to the side of the road and said, we don't care about you. Um, it, you can be honored in many, many different ways. And it's it's going out of their way to honor these families uh, with such brave sons, uh, fathers, wives, uh, it's, husbands, mothers. It, it's, it means a lot no matter how you do it, whether it's a call, whether it's a gathering, whether it's a banquet, whether it's a letter. Well, it also begs the question of when is it okay to politicize such a tragic event, right? We, we saw lots recently in the wake of Las Vegas and any other mass shooting that we've seen recently that you can't politicize such an event. You can't use that to try to make some sort of political gain. Yet the president seemingly politicized the death of his, uh, you know, General Kelly you know, without permission or without, you know, prior notice. And, you know, for what? For political gain, to make a point. 
Although just to make sure that we're uh, hitting both sides here, um, wasn't it Rahm, Rahm Emanuel who said, you know, you never let a serious crisis go to waste? So maybe it's just a, a, a thing. When, you, when you're in politics, you, you don't think the same way as normal people think. You know, uh, you try to see what's uh, best for your advantage as a political party and as for a candidate, but it's horrible nonetheless. Uh, so all this happens, uh, and then Congresswoman Frederica Wilson comes out. I had never heard of her before. Um, of course, I now will remember her as the person wearing the insane cowboy hats all the time. Um, but that shouldn't I shouldn't judge someone by how they look and how they dress, I know. So uh, after the comments about General Kelly came out, uh, she spoke out to CNN saying that she was in the car when President Trump uh, called one of the parents of or one of the, me, the family of one of the slain officers. Officers, uh, in particular, in this case, led David Johnson. And uh, on this phone call, Trump told Johnson's widow that you know, soldiers knew, knew what they signed up for, but I guess it still hurts. Uh, not exactly the kind of thing you want to hear when your husband has died under mysterious circumstances in a conflict that you have no idea you know, what he was fighting for. If he would just shut his mouth, I mean, there really isn't anything that you can say in those situations that's really going to ease the pain of the families going through this. So at the very least, stick to the basics. You know, I'm sorry for your loss. Thank you so much for his service to the country and the people of the United States of America and leave it at that. But see, he he yammers on and blabbers away as he's prone to do, and he gets himself into such a controversy. Well, this is something we see repeated over and over and over again, that if he only just shut his mouth after saying you know, the first bit he says in any given circumstance, he'd probably eliminate 50% of the problems he has right now, but that he keeps talking, that he has to keep building himself up, and then he keeps talking about things either he doesn't know about or doesn't care to learn about or just flat out lies about that gets him in trouble. And in this case, he started tweeting about Wilson, but he's calling her Wacky Wilson now because you know, he has to have a, a a little cute pet name for every person. No, he's he goes a fifth against. grader. Yeah, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a playground bully. He, he says that she's lying, um, saying that he has proof that she's lying. Yeah, the, the typical trunk uh, deflection, um, but. Johnson's family confirms what Wilson said, and they have no reason to lie. They're mourning still. It's been less than three weeks since their the family was shaken to the core. And but Trump is just more concerned with being right and and showing up this congresswoman, uh, regardless of how it affects the family of a of a fallen hero. So you know, where do we go from here? Well, it only gets better, folks. <laughs> Yeah, General Kelly then inserted himself into all this, and he, he spoke at the end of last week uh, during one of Sarah Huckabee Sanders' press briefings, and you know I was with him for the first uh, half of his speech. He discussed how difficult the situation is. I Obviously, I don't have any children. Um, my parents were not in the military. I can't imagine what it would be like losing someone that close to me. Um, you know, it's, it's unfathomable to me. Uh, and he also talked about that families, you know, they appreciate when the president calls, but in the end, they don't really care. They care hearing from their the, the buddies of the fallen soldier, the friends, the people that really knew them, that had stories they could tell. Um, you know, if, if you wouldn't care if your if your wife's boss called you to say good things about you, you'd want to hear from her friends. Uh, and I was with him there, but then again, he had to turn his attention to Representative Wilson, and he actually confirmed the story she told, which is funny because it shows that. 
Trump was lying about it, but he blamed it on miscommunication that that Trump was trying to say the right thing and it just kind of came out wrong. Uh, but then he really hit hit on her, uh, saying that it was inappropriate that she was in the car listening to this conversation. Well, a couple things: she was friends with the family and a mentor to Johnson. She was invited to be there. It wasn't like she was tapping their phone lines to to listen to this thing. She was in the car with the family and they put it on speakerphone. Plus, Kelly was listening in on Trump's end. So that's equally inappropriate if if what Kelly is saying is true. Uh, It's just ridiculous. Right. Just a tad hypocritical on on Kelly's end, on the administration's end. And it makes you wonder, you know, was Kelly put up to that or did he do that, um, you know, on his own and go out there and try to defend his boss? You know, it reminds us of Rex Tillerson a few weeks ago in what I mentioned, I I called before, like a hostage situation, (laughs) you know, where he he went out there and was kind of forced to give uh, a little speech and, and. you know, say everything was fine and, you know, there was no problems between him and the president. And, and is this the same situation where General Kelly is having to uh, try to defend the president, not of his own volition, but, you know, because he's been told to by his boss? Or reminds me back in January when uh, Sean Spicer came out and said, you know, this is the biggest crowd ever, period, when it obviously wasn't. Um, whether they're being directed to lie or just feel they need to uh, for their boss's sanity, it doesn't make it right either way. And then, of course, Kelly goes on to accuse Wilson of showboating at an event uh, a couple years ago when they were naming an FBI field office in uh, Florida. Uh, It was being named after and dedicated to, excuse me, um, two FBI agents who were killed during um, a sting on on drug traffickers. He accused her of talking only about how she was responsible for getting the funds for that building, made it all about herself and sat down. Kelly actually said that he and others were stunned. Uh, Then, of course, video surfaced of it and shows that he's not telling the truth. He's either at the best misremembering, at worst lying. Um, The video shows uh, that she talks strongly about law enforcement, has them stand up and and honoring anybody in the crowd who's ever worked in law enforcement uh, for their bravery and and made sure they were all recognized. Uh, So, again, it's another fact check on the Trump administration that, I guess, the Washington Post or whatever paper would give them, you know, five Pinocchios because it's a complete fabrication. Uh, And Kelly won't come out and say, oops, I made a mistake. You know, something about this Trump White House where they just refuse to acknowledge things that can be easily proven. And it's hard to fathom, you know, that they aren't aware that these events and things are being taped, that in the 21st century, that footage won't come up somewhere if they are to say something that's contradictory to what actually happened. And it's worse. It's it's not like not only will they not apologize, they don't even want to be questioned. Uh, at the the next day, Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, had a press conference and said that if you want to get into a debate with a four-star Marine general, I think that's highly inappropriate. It's highly inappropriate to question or debate the president's chief of staff, especially when he has there is proof that he's being disingenuous. Uh, that's what they say in dictatorships. They don't say that in democracies. And to prove my point, uh, retired General David Petraeus over the weekend flat out disagreed with the White House and said that you know they're all fair game, that people in uniform protect the rights of others to criticize them. Uh, they are fiercely protective of the rights of Americans to express themselves, even if that includes them. Uh, and we'll, I would assume that that Kelly may actually feel the same way, but he's not being allowed to go out and talk anymore. Um, 
I don't know what to think about Kelly. I don't know if he made a mistake, if he's just as bad as everybody else in the administration. Uh, they like touting him as being a man of honor, but you can't be a man of honor and also a stooge for the White House at the same time. You got to go one way or the other. Yeah, it certainly is hard to rectify those two things. And and I don't know. I had a lot of respect for Kelly, and I, I kind of felt like he was the last best hope of someone who could bring some levity to that White House and keep things under control. And the idea that he might be pandering towards the president now, I, I'm a little uncomfortable with that. So I don't know what else, you know, who's going to be that that last, uh, you know, stopping point before the president drives us over the, the cliff. I don't know. There may not be a stopping point. We may just kind of do a thumb on Louise on the way down, hold hands and, and kiss our butts goodbye. Uh, and, and the worst part about all of this is, is Johnson's widow. Uh, she can't even see her husband's body, know how he died. You know, this is as if this process wasn't difficult enough. Uh, she's been, it's been made harder by the president. She has no idea what happened. Imagine your wife dying and you not knowing what the hell happened, not being able to see them before they're put in the ground. I, I think she mentioned the casket could be empty. The casket could be full of bricks. She doesn't know because she doesn't get to look in. It's just it's, it's really, really sad. And again, it's something that I can't even imagine going through. And, and I, I feel for people who do have to go through that. Yeah, just a sad situation made even sadder by the president's uh, ineptitude. Uh, well, I wanted to share a quote here by Abraham Lincoln. Actually, Bill Maher uh, read it on his show over the weekend, and I had heard it before, and it really hit home, and I wanted to talk about it. Too. It was also made uh, even more famous uh, in Saving Private Ryan. It's about a letter that Abraham Lincoln wrote to the mother of five children who had died in the Civil War. And ladies and gentlemen, this is how you how you how you speak to the widow or the, or the mother of of people who die in war. He said, or he wrote, I feel how weak and fruitless must be any word of mine which should attempt to beguile you from the grief of loss so overwhelming. But I cannot refrain from tendering to you the consolation that may be found in the thanks of a republic they died to save. I pray that our Heavenly Father may assuage the anguish of your bereavement and leave you only the cherished memory of the loved and lost and the solemn pride that must be yours to have laid so costly a sacrifice upon the altar of freedom. You know, sadly, this is a reminder of just how far we've fallen in having an inarticulate man as our president of the United States today. You know, what we wouldn't do for someone like Abraham Lincoln or for most other presidents, for that matter, who, you know, would speak this way in such difficult situations. I mean, after, after this whole thing started, I read someone on Twitter who even said, you know, for all the problems they have with George W. Bush, uh, that – when her husband died, he sat there and let her scream at him um, as long as she had to about her husband dying. And then he held her as she cried afterwards. And you know she was probably saying horrible, horrible things to, to President Bush, as you know I can understand in that moment of grief. And he recognized that it's a duty of the president to take that. He uh, he's the commander in chief. The buck stops with him. And oh, President Obama, I'm sure felt the same way, and I'm sure Clinton and so on back there. It's Trump has to realize it's not about him. If it makes him look stupid, if it makes him look whatever, it doesn't matter. Apologize. It's the, the people who are fighting for our country. Those are the people that matter. And their family, at the very, very least, uh, deserves you speaking to them as a human being and as a political prop. Yeah, I'm not sure that the president has the ability uh, to look outside of himself. No. 
I, I don't know why again, we say this all the time. I don't know why we're surprised by that, but we constantly are. I guess we, we imagine that you know, the innate goodness of the human spirit will come through in everybody, even someone like Donald Trump. Um, but I think time and time again, we've seen that it's just not going to happen. Mm. Well, moving on to uh, an old friend, Steve Bannon, who is gone from the White House, but not gone from the political world. Uh, since leaving the White House, Steve Bannon has been taking a page out of the Tea Party's playbook uh, and has been working to primary a lot of Republican congressmen that he sees uh, – he'll say he sees them as rhinos, which is Republican in name only. Um, and one of the biggest complaints is that these candidates don't really have any sh- a shared ideology. Um, it's it's not like this is a Tea Party, whether you love them or hate them, they all kind of felt one way. Uh, in this instance, it's more about Bannon being the kingmaker, having his ego, you know, strengthened by by getting these guys to go out there and take on the established GOP, more than really having any kind of shared ideology. Right, and it's led to much more of a Bannon versus Mitch McConnell scenario. You know, uh, McConnell's called Bannon a specialist at nominating people who lose. (laughs) It's so tough when you take Steve Bannon, who we obviously don't like. We have Mitch McConnell, who we obviously don't like. Like, who do we root root for? Do we want mutually assured destruction? Um, I mean, I I think that's what Mitch McConnell is actually worried about. As you were just saying, um, he's a specialist at nominating people who lose. Uh, Mitch McConnell was saying that Bannon's people may beat the established GOP, but they're kind of out there a a little wacky themselves and won't win in the general election. You have to focus on the general election, not the primary, because it doesn't matter who wins what if you can't get the majority of people in the general election to vote for you. Absolutely. Um, You know, Bannon – you know, is showing his true colors here, which is, you know, the way he's behaving now and what he's trying to do now is exactly what he was doing behind the scenes in the White House. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I guess I don't know if I should, you know, feel comforted in the, in the fact that he's no longer affecting policy in the way that he was when he was working in the White House. But it, it's still uh, not something that I want to see of my country. But Trump is, I mean, for for lack of a better term, he's still kind of support. I mean, last week Bannon said that he's declaring a season of war in the GOP establishment, and Trump kind of gives him, you know, half-hearted attempts at stopping his crusade. You know, you know, Steve's a good guy, uh, but he should know. I, I understand that he, Trump isn't exactly, you know, GOP establishment himself, but you're the head of the GOP party, man, as president. Uh, you should be fighting for people to get reelected, not tempting the fate and getting rid of people in a primary and hoping uh, these people win again in in the general election. Yeah, you would think. Uh, But, you know, again, why are we surprised? And and, and again, to be fair, um, these are some problems that I've had on the left, too. I think most recently with Bernie Sanders during the uh, 2016 election, that they were really trying to out-liberal each other. You're not a pure liberal because you, you want to work with the moderates um i think the problem with people on the extremes is they're focused on being a pure conservative or being a pure liberal and not focusing on what's actually doable uh you know what, what can actually be accomplished uh, in, a, in a perfect world i understand where these guys come from uh, but the world as we can all see is far from perfect right and you make a good point about uh trying to outlast each other on the extremes and that's really 
one of the biggest concerns for this country is that we've gone too far to the partisan edges of our government and, and we need to bring it back towards the middle. And it's right for you to point out the fact that last year, Bernie Sanders and the Democratic Party and and the, the tiffs that they had with each other you know, over who was more progressive, who was more liberal, is a similar situation to Bannon promoting Republican candidates that are farther to the right uh, to primary the, the more establishment Republicans already in power. How, how many Bernie people voted for Trump instead of Hillary? They should have been working to you know, coalesce the, or get them together uh, rather than, than divide them. But that's just you know, that's the way it goes in politics. Um, but speaking of the 2016 election, I mean, that's really what got our butts moving. We've um, both been politically um, motivated for quite some time. Uh, but following the election of President Trump, um, we both started this podcast. Uh, we're running for our local office. Um, and we've been seeing at least – we're in Connecticut, so it's a little more liberal up here. But we've been seeing some backlash. And um, we may be seeing a, a, county, a countrywide backlash too on Donald Trump. Um, because of a Democratic fundraising. I mean, Democratic candidates are reporting uh, historic early funding totals. Um, this is making the GOP strategists very nervous because their rivals are getting lots and lots of money. Um, 2018 could end up being the most expensive uh, House election in a long, long time, um, which I, I believe you and you and I, Kevin, are, are glad to hear that. It certainly would seem to favor us in this upcoming election. Will that trickle down to municipal level stuff? I don't know. Sure would be nice, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. A couple more weeks. Yeah, I know I haven't been breaking any records with my fundraising, unfortunately. Um, but, but according to Politico, at least 162 Democratic candidates in 82 GOP-held districts have raised more than $100,000 so far this year. Uh, and they still have another year until the actual election. And that's nearly four times as many candidates uh, as House Democrats had at this point in 2016 and 2014, or even what the Republicans had in 2010 and so on. So something is happening out there. You know, I've said it before and I'll say it again, if for nothing else, Trump's election in November of 2016 brought out this uh, this new uh, demand for new ideas and, and people getting involved in politics and becoming more civically engaged, which in a democracy, I mean, there's not much more you could hope for. So, you know, hopefully that translates into uh, better results in the upcoming elections. But uh, again, we'll have to wait and see if the tide really turns based on the president's behavior. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these damn candidates are first-timers. They're running uh, against the idea of Trump, and the money is flowing in, uh, which, you know, it's really a slap in the face, a wake-up call uh, to Republicans in D.C. about going forward, we have to do something a little different. Uh, the Republicans currently have a 24-seat majority in the House, uh, and historically, in midterm elections, the president's party loses seats. Uh, I think it's only not happened twice. Uh, 2002, following 9-11, obviously, um, we were all rallying uh, with President George W. Bush, and uh, the Republicans gained seats. I think there was some other time, like back in FTR. So I can't remember. I, I researched this for work years and years and years ago, uh, but I can't remember. There was another time. I just can't remember the exact date. Well, I've got you covered, Jess. According to the American Presidency Project at the University of California at Santa Barbara, Democrats picked up nine seats in both the House and Senate midway through FDR's first term in the 1934 midterm ah, elections. So, so I was I was basically right. Just remember this. Thank you, Kevin, for coming through uh, when I needed you, as, as you always do. You're welcome. <laughs> so there's uh, talk of these upcoming Democratic challengers are going to 
basically be facing the same wave that Republicans had in 2010. However, Democrats should not get complacent. Um, they got a little complacent in 2016. Look what happened. Um, it looks like good news for them, but money doesn't always equal votes. Um, don't get overly optimistic. Uh, it'll hurt even more when you get your butt kicked again. Well, you mentioned before talking about Steve Bannon and, and him utilizing some of the Tea Party strategy. You know, makes you wonder how much the Democrats will use the Tea Party's playbook here to try to, you know, compensate for Trump in the White House the way back in 2010, the Tea Party kind of rose to prominence because of Obama. That, that was what I always yelled at about, about Occupy Wall Street. They had no real plan. They were unorganized. You may hate the Tea Party, but they got their candidates elected. They were organized, and look what happened. It can be done. Back once more to healthcare reform, um, we actually might see a vote on the bipartisan healthcare bill coming up sometime soon. Uh, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer said uh, that this bill, which is uh, – come together by Alexander and Murray, um, has enough votes, and he's urging Majority Leader Mitch McConnell to bring it to the floor. Yeah, it's a compromise bill. Um, back in college, we used to call that satisficing, uh, which meant nobody's happy, but everybody can live with it. Um, but apparently there are 60 senators who support it. Schumer says they have 48 Democrats and 12 Republicans, and that's cool for me. Um, the compromise legislation would fund a key insurance subsidy uh, program and would create some breathing room, I think, um, until Congress can get around to improving the ACA, repealing it, God help us all. Um, Trump used to back this idea of a bipartisan bill, but then he flip-flopped when it became a reality. You know, compromise at this point is a rare commodity in Washington, D.C., so, you know, mm -hmm. I'll take satisficing at this point. You know, something that 48 Democrats and 12 Republicans are getting behind together um, you know, we haven't seen something like this in quite a while, certainly in the in the Trump administration. So we might want to ride this wave if it doesn't get voted on because it's not brought to the floor. I mean, it's going to kill any bipartisan efforts in the future. Because why bother wasting your time if they're not going to let you vote on it? McConnell said he'll bring the bill to the floor only if President Trump agrees to sign it. Um, honestly, Trump. Doesn't, he doesn't know anything about this bill, like all this legislation he talks about. He knows Bobka about it. Um, over the weekend, Trump was on Fox Business Channel, and uh, when asked about the bipartisan bill, he said this. And Kevin, please forgive me if I get confused while reading this. You know how Trump speaks. Sometimes me trying to read what he says. I, I think I have the problem, but no, it's 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 the text. That's how it's supposed to be. He said, well – I have looked at it very, very strongly, and pretty much we can almost do what they're getting. I think he is a tremendous person. I don't know Senator Murray. I hear very, very good things. We can do pretty much what we have to do without, you know, the secretary has tremendous leeway under the Obama plans. One of the things that they did, because they were so messed up, they had no choice but to give the secretary leeway because they knew he'd have to be changing all the time. And we can pretty much do whatever we have to do just the way it is. So this is going to be temporary prior to repeal and replace. We're going to repeal and replace Obamacare. Huh? I don't even understand what he's talking about. He's just blathering on and wasting time but saying absolutely nothing. And I feel like he's almost saying less than nothing there. The ramblings of an inarticulate septuagenarian. So in the same interview, he was actually asked about the Federal Reserve, and his response was he thinks it's important – well, I think he meant to say he thinks it's important psychologically, but he came out and said the Federal Reserve is important psychotically. Something again. This is the guy who's sitting in the White House and has his finger on the button. Virgin slip maybe? 
So on to your boy, Bernie Sanders. Uh, I, I want, we talked about him a little earlier, um, yeah, but for a while now, the DNC has been pushing for him, uh, along with Senator Angus King from Maine, I believe, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, to run as Democrats in 2018, come together to the party, um, and while both caucus with the Democrats, they're elected as independents. Uh, and this this kind of came up in 2016. I actually, we disagreed on this, I think. Um, you know, Sanders is running for the Democratic nomination uh, while not actually being a Democrat himself. Um, both Sanders and King have said, no, we're not going to be Democrats. We're going to run as independents. What do you think about this? Well, you know, I understood the issue last year with Sanders, but, you know, I've never been one to be exclusive. You know, heck, the whole ideology of the Democratic Party is to be open and accepting, you know, representative of all kinds. So, you know, I, I understand while not registered as, a, registered as a Democrat, however, sharing most of the ideological points as the Democratic Party and just, you know, on the, the left wing of the Democratic Party, you know, I never saw a problem with him, you know, kind of as a, a magnet uh, attracting those who are on the left wing of the Democratic Party. Uh, you know, if the Democratic Party wants to support somebody who technically isn't a Democrat but shares their ideals, I never had a real problem with that. And let's be honest, for all intents and purposes, both King and Sanders are Democrats. They just have an I next to their name instead of a D. Uh, It it happens. Big, big deal. Um, It's it's kind of an an FU, I think, to the DNC, but I don't think that Sanders is really – worried about that one way or the other. Uh, Sanders is going to do what Sanders is going to do and and do what he thinks is best for Vermont. So, you know, I guess more power. I, I didn't vote for him, but more power to him. Vermont's a very independent so. state. <laughs> I do love Ben and Jerry, so I'll, I'll give him that. Uh, so, Kevin, what do we have for Kevin's Corner this week? Well, Jesse, when White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders this week suggested that it would be wrong to question a four-star Marine general, she was contradicting the very ethos of American democracy. In a time when technology is posing a strong challenge to the human ability to think critically, it is irresponsible and dangerous for a presidential administration to suggest that we should not question our leadership. Stifling dissent is a hallmark of authoritarian governments around the globe. This is quite contradictory to the democratic process that we so often fight to foster the world over. The anti-federalist framers of the Constitution were insistent on the inclusion of individual rights in our most sacred democratic document. It is our constitutional right, moreover our responsibility, to question the authority. To neglect this just might get us all killed. Well, as usual, Kevin, you've said all that needs to be said. Thank you so much for those glorious insights. Uh, As we've been told several times, people do love Kevin's Corner. Uh, They go, yeah, by the way, we like you too, Jesse. (laughs) So, <laughs> hey, Jesse's the real know, brains behind this operation. I'll go out and uh, uh, now. Oh, you know, we we have our strengths and weaknesses, and we we build upon each other to have this great, wonderful podcast. Uh, we couldn't do it without each other, and we couldn't do it without you, our wonderful listeners. So thank you so much for listening. Remember, go to our website at grabthembythepod.com. You'll find all of our links to social media, um, all of our podcasts, all you know, wonderful, handsome pictures of both Kevin and myself. Love that stuff. Uh, so until next time. Later. Later.